We're in Genesis this morning. We're going to talk today about predestination, predestination. Does anybody here believe in predestination? All right, you need to. You need to because the Bible is very clear. Uh, predestination is a very uh, sort of a aggravating, discussed topic. I don't know why it's so hard to understand. It's very simple. Predestination comes from the word destiny. And destiny simply means that before you were born, God had a plan for your life. That's all it means. Destiny means that, that you were created with a plan. He didn't just create you and say, show me what you can do, Bubba. Uh, that he created you with a specific purpose for a reason. And we're going to look at some scriptures that regard that. I don't know how people cannot believe that they weren't predestined when passages like Romans 8, 29 say, whom he foreknew, he predestined. Was God knew you before you were born. First Timothy 1 says he knew you before time began. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Verse 30 says, whom he predestined, he called. And so many of those great verses, uh, my favorite one is Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, we're gonna be looking at it a little bit later. But he didn't just create you and say, be good. He didn't just create you and say, behave. He created you with a specific destiny in mind. Now, let me, let me tell you something about our, our, uh, our life here. Dear ones, salvation is a free gift. If somewhere along the road of life, you will hear what we call the gospel, that there is a creator, that you're created by him, that you have sinned against him. We've all sinned and come short of the great glorious life and future that God has for us. But that he loved us, he sent his son to die on a cross. That's called the gospel. And if you will repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, you'll be saved. You'll be born again. And after this brief three seconds on this life is over, you'll spend eternity in a new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay, are you with me? Salvation is a free gift. Ephesians chapter two says salvation is a free gift. Anybody can be saved. Some people twist predestination to say that, well, God chooses some people to be saved and some people to go to hell. Nonsense. Second Timothy chapter one says this, God desires all to be saved, all. Everybody's predestined to spend eternity with him. But now listen to me, your destiny is different from your salvation. Every Christian that's saved will go to heaven. I don't think many Christians fulfill their destiny. Do you understand that? Salvation's a free gift you accept. Your destiny is something you have to walk out in this life. And listen, listen to me, you're gonna see from scripture, don't miss your destiny. You want to find out what you were put, you want to find out why you were put on this earth and you want to find out why you were created. And we're going to look at that today. And we're going to look at the great picture fulfilling your destiny. And we're going to look at one of the pictures in the Bible, all through the Bible, you see this, but one of the great pictures about how to find your destiny and find your place is, is the life of a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph is a man that was born with a destiny. And then for 13 chapters in the Bible, it shows him walking his destiny out. And uh, you're familiar with uh, Joseph, coat of many colors, Joseph. Well, dear ones, it's not a Bible story. The Bible is God speaking to you. The Bible is God revealing himself to you through how he deals with other people. Do you understand that? The Bible is God showing you how he deals with people by letting you see how he deals with people in the Bible. And Joseph may be the greatest story in the Bible about how that we've been given a destiny, but how we have to overcome certain things to reach our destiny. And Joseph's one of the greatest men that ever lived. You're going to see that, he was, that God gave him a, a vision, a destiny, and you're going to see how he overcame some things and he did some things and he ultimately fulfilled his destiny. 
because you and me want to, I mean, it's a great story to read, but if that's all it's worth, it's not worth getting dressed up for. But this is the father showing me and you how to reach our destiny. So we're going to look in Genesis 37. Uh, there were, you know, Abraham had a son who had a son who had a son. And then that son was Joseph. And uh, I want to look a little bit at the life of Joseph as he started. Verse chapter 37 of Genesis, verse one, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, his son being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bela and Zilpha, his father's wives. Back then he had multiple wives. Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, Joseph was the youngest of the sons. What does it mean he brought a bad report to his father? He was a brat. He was a tattletale. And he would run, you know, boys are being boys. He's got, he's got 10 older brothers and he's the youngest. He's with them. And he runs back to daddy all the time and tells daddy what they're doing. So, uh, you know, this can create a little conflict in the house here. So he's sort of a spoiled brat. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, it's what he is. Verse three, Israel, Israel's also under the name for Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic or coat of many colors. We got problems, don't we? Favoritism in the family. I see friction coming. All right. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than than his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now what we got. Can you believe one of the, this is one of the four great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and we've got a dysfunctional family here now. You've got a father who loves one kid more than he does the others, and now you've got strife and the kids hate each other. And maybe you know you don't have to be a perfect family to make the Bible or to make anything else. All right, I have a big sign behind my desk and it says life doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. Good thing, isn't it? All right, verse five, Joseph had a dream. He told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream I've dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and your sheaves all around stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to them, shall you indeed reign over us? Shall you have dominion over us? They hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now listen, let's learn something here. You don't need to tell everything you know. <laughs> and maybe you know sometimes silence is golden. Now, sometimes it's yellow, but a lot of times it's golden. This was God. God was revealing this boy's destiny to him. Listen, let's, let's learn something here. When God begins to speak to you, be real careful who you tell things about. And this was his destiny. Listen to me. The destiny was not that he would be big and in charge. The destiny was that he would serve people and they would be grateful to him. So even as a spoiled teenager, God begins to show him, I created you to help people. And I'll just tell you what his destiny was. This man saved the world. Uh, Let me count, 17, 24 years down the road, a drought was gonna hit the entire world. Seven years of drought and the world would have starved if this man hadn't known what to do. And God saw that coming. So he takes a spoiled teenager just as a kid and his destiny is to train this boy and bring him up so that when the world's in crisis, he can, he literally saved the world. If you know the rest of the story, All right? So God begins to work in his life just as a young person to shape his heart toward what he's created him to do. That's destiny. The problem is he shouldn't told it because destiny, listen, sometimes people will be ill with you if, if, if you have a destiny. All right. Uh, he didn't learn his lesson. Watch what happens. Uh, verse eight, show you reign over us. Uh, Verse nine, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. This time the sun, the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. 
So he told it to his father and his brothers. His, father's, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you dream? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to earth before you? How many of you know if it came to pass? Sure did. I right, watch this. His brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His father recognized God's talking to this boy. Right, that, that's his dream. That's his vision. And God's called him. And again, this is not about him ruling and being a big shot. This is about him helping people and their gratitude for what he's done for them. So this is his vision. Listen, this boy, he didn't earn it. You don't earn your dream. You don't earn your destiny. It's just the kindness of God. But listen, let me tell you something about your destiny. It's not always about you or always about me. Our father always thinks about everybody. And he's always thinking about other people. And you're, listen to me, your destiny will always involve helping people. That, that's, that's what he does. Now in America, we live for making money and accumulating things. That's sort of the American dream so that it can burn one day. Why would we live for something that's going to burn? And I told somebody the other day, we were talking about this. I said, we buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. And that's just nuts. That's become the American dream. Or we live to goof off and have fun. Well, fun's wonderful. We should enjoy our lives. But dear ones, you were created for more than accumulating things and having fun. You were created to change the world. Every person has a destiny to help people somewhere. And this boy's destiny was to help people ultimately. And uh, we see that he does that. And then, now we're going to look at him fulfilling his destiny. We're not going to read the 13 chapters that take too long. So I'm going to highlight them. But listen to me. This is not just him. This is God speaking to you about how to fulfill your destiny. Now I want to throw something from the end in to start with. Some of us are, are not exactly 21 years old anymore. And uh, Joseph was a young man and he fulfilled his destiny. Some of us got some years on us and said, well, it's too late for me to fulfill my destiny. One of the great truths of the Bible is I don't care when you start, you can finish and fulfill your destiny. Who's the great man in the Bible that did it? Who's the greatest picture in the Bible? A man by the name of Moses. Moses was born of God to save people's lives. He was born with a destiny, supernatural protection, but he lived a selfish, self-centered life and worked his little job and did his little thing and, and wouldn't, he refused to do what God created him to do until he had, you remember the famous meeting with God at the bush? And then he changed his mind and he decided, I will do the will of God with my life and I'll do what I was created to do. How old was he when he started? Do you mind know? 80. And at 80 years old, he decided to fulfill his destiny. And this man, listen, at 80 years old, he was a nobody. Nobody knew him. He worked a little pitiful job. He was only known to his family. He just worked his job, ate his food and did nothing. And at 80 years old, he decided to fulfill his destiny. And listen to this. Today, historians, not, not Christians, but historians consider Moses the greatest human leader in world history. How do you go from being nobody at 80 to becoming a great world leader and saving a nation? You turn your life over to God and say, I want to fulfill my destiny. So I'm going to throw that in to start with. I don't care if, you know, some of you like me, you're in the fourth quarter. Time to get this thing jump started. All right. He fulfills his, he goes on a journey. I'm going to show you four things through his journey that he had to do. And listen to me, you'll have to do all four of these if you're going to fulfill your destiny. Number one is the biggest one. It's always the biggest one. The first thing this boy had to do, and he had to do it through his whole journey. He had to overcome offense. He had to overcome offense. Dear ones, offense is the number one killer of God's will in your life. Being offended by what people do to you. Some people call it getting hurt. 
The word hurt is nowhere in the Bible. Don't call it getting hurt. Call it what God calls it. Listen, people do things to other people. Did this man have a ch- I don't know if you know his story. Let me, let me tell you what happened. All right, his brothers hated him. Right after this situation, <clears throat> his father sends him to check on him one day. They say, here comes the brat. Uh, except they called him something worse than that. They grabbed him and threw him in a pit and they wanted, some of them wanted to kill him. But two brothers said, no, let's don't kill him. They see a caravan traveling and they stop the caravan and say, we got a slave for sale. How much would you give us for him? So they gave him X number of uh, dollars, whatever. They sold their brother into slavery. He goes to Egypt as a slave. Would you be ill? Do you think he had a chance to be bitter? His own brother sold him into slavery. So he goes to Egypt. They put him on a slave block. He's bought by a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was a, 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 like a colonel in the uh, Egyptian army. So Potiphar takes him home, makes him a slave in his house. He does a wonderful job. And Potiphar's wife had a problem. She, uh, she, must, have come, she must have been from America. I think he got her from America because she could not keep her hands to herself. And so the Bible said she had eyes for him. She cast her eyes at him. I'm not sure what that means. I know what it means down here. But the Bible said she said to him over and over, lie with me, lie with me. So now you've got the boss's wife hitting on you in the house. And he said, I will not do this great evil. He walked in his integrity. And uh, one day she grabbed him by the coat and said, you will lie with me today. And he, and he ran. He ran from, I mean, there's a time to pray and there's a time to run. Listen, when some woman grabs you, don't shut your eyes and praise God knows, don't shut your eyes, run. So he runs and she tears his coat off him. The poor boy, you know, his family sells him out. He's a slave. This old lady's hitting, a young lady's hitting on him and he runs. All right, her husband gets home. She says, that Hebrew you brought in here tried to rape me today. And here's his coat. He goes off, grabs Joseph, throws him in prison. I may ever think this poor boy's got a chance to be bitter. All right, he meets a, a man in prison. He befriends him. It's Pharaoh's butler. He's in prison temporarily. Joseph really ministers to him and helps him and gives him a vision. In three days, you'll be in front of Pharaoh. Tell him what happened to me. He said, I will never forget you. In three days, he's back in front of Pharaoh. He forgot all about Joseph. He rots for two more years in that prison. I may think this boy's had some opportunities to be offended. He overcame every one of them. He never let what happened to him in his life. He never let what people did to him stop him. He never became bitter. He didn't become aggravated. He didn't let him, it it didn't turn him away. Has anybody in this room ever been hurt by anybody? Dear ones, offense is the number one thing in your life that'll keep you from doing what God created you to do. It is Satan's number one tool in our lives. I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter two. What is happening in my nation right now? We're about to burn this nation to the ground over what? Offense. Everybody's got a chip on their shoulder today. We're experiencing violence in the streets. We can't get along because we're so offended at each other. And we're so angry about what people are doing. Dear ones, anger against other people is from hell. It is Satan's number one tool to destroy people's lives. It's it's to the point with ministers like me trying to help people, we can't even talk to people about it anymore. You know, people, people have legitimately been hurt. People have been done wrong. And you say, look, look, you you have got to forgive them and get over this so you can be free. And then they become angry with you. Dear ones, forgiveness is the only pathway to freedom in this life. And this is killing us in this nation right now. I want you to read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 2, 10. Whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. 
If indeed I have forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. When you refuse to forgive, you open your life to demon spirits. Right there it is. And so many people are tormented today. They're not tormented, can't sleep, have to be medicated because of what somebody did. They are tormented because of their anger and hatred towards somebody for what they did. And it was the, the only freedom you'll ever find is to say, you owe me nothing. God bless you. Love your enemies, bless them, pray for them, quit cursing them, be good to them. And uh, there was, how many people do I know? They have, I know many ministers who have, who might as well just get out of the ministry. Their lives are ruined because they're so angry over what somebody did and God can't use them anymore. But this young man, he realized that, can you not see the enemy? Listen, I don't understand this, but it does, scripture alludes to it. Our enemy doesn't know everything God's doing, but he sort of knows some of the things that the father's doing in people's lives. And he will throw roadblocks in your life. And the number one roadblock's always offense. Now, <clears throat> if you're going to live in America, you have plenty of opportunities to be offended today. The national pastime is how can I piss people off? It has become our national pastime in this nation. We are very careless with the way we treat people now. And uh, so I meet so many people that are offended. They're angry. They got a chip on their shoulder. Listen, it's going to rob you. You can't do that. You got to make up your mind. I will not be offended. I will walk in forgiveness and walk in grace. You say, it's not fair. Welcome to life. I'm not being cute. I'm just telling you life is not fair. But God Almighty is the only one that can make up the past to you. And if you will honor him in these things and you will say, look, nobody owes me a thing. I give it to him. You know what this book teaches right here? If anybody's hurt you and anybody's done you wrong, this book teaches if you will walk in integrity before him and love people and forgive them, he will give you double for the trouble you had. The Bible says he will, I will restore back to them double what the enemy has taken away. When a thief is caught, he has to restore seven times. And I've heard some great messages called he'll give you double for your trouble. He really will. He's done it for me. I had many opportunities when I was a kid, young man, to just be full of anger and hatred. And I made a decision. Ain't nobody going to mean nothing. God bless you. I'm a forgiven man. I am a forgiven man. And I can afford to forgive people. And I'm going to give people the same forgiveness I've been forgiven. Not only that, I really like sleeping at night. I like being at peace. I like enjoying my life. And nothing will rob you quicker than offense. And I'm going to tell you something. My heavenly father has given me so much more than anything that was ever taken away from me. If you will honor him in this area, the only reason this man fulfilled his destiny, Joseph, the only reason he did it was because he never fell into hatred and anger and bitterness over the things people did to him. And he had plenty of opportunity, but he stayed in grace over the whole, the number one killer. All right, listen, um, how many people today have parked at the point of their past pain? They're stuck at their pain. They can't get over it. All right, I'm going to show you something. I want you to remember what you're fixing to see from God's word. Turn with me to Philippians chapter three, just a few pages from second Corinthians. You'll find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And I want you to remember this passage. This is one of the most liberating words from God you'll ever have in your life. I mean, this, this is just, this is the key that sets people free. My dear friend Everett at the, uh, used to be the Airhead BP. Now it's just the Airhead service sta station over at Tanger Outlets. He got it on his wall, written across the wall in his service station out there. It says, uh, hating other people is like drinking poison. Not forgiving is like drinking poison, hoping it'll hurt somebody else. I mean, if you drink poison to hurt somebody else, that's dumb. 
Unforgiveness is drinking poison, hoping it'll hurt somebody else, only hurt you. I don't know why this is so hard for us to get in this nation today, but we are boiling in this nation with hatred over offenses. And listen to me, a lot of the offenses we're boiling over weren't that big a deal. Can I make an announcement? You weren't supposed to get everything your way on this planet. Get shot for that. Philippians chapter three. All right, this is a man at 62 years old. He wants to fulfill his destiny. And I want you to look at what he says. This is, this is so wonderful. Verse, let's put in verse 12, Philippians 3, 12. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. There it is. He said, God created me with, with a purpose, a destiny. I want to find what he created me for. And I'm pressing on to find out what it is. Now watch the secret right here in verse 13. I don't count myself to apprehended. One thing I do, watch these words, forgetting those things which are behind. That's the secret to life right there. You need to forget some things that are behind you. Satan will always use your past to destroy your future. There's got to come a place in life where you say, <clears throat> listen, don't lie about it. Say, yep, they did me wrong. And I release them in Jesus name and I bless them. I, I bless them with health. I bless them with a raise. I bless them with happiness. I'm not looking back there anymore. Right, let's read these words. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. There's some things out there in front of you. There's some things he's planned for you, but can you see from that verse, you cannot go forward looking backward. You, you, you listen, you're going to have plenty of opportunity to use what I'm telling you this morning. And I'm telling you, it is the number one block in your life will be the junk that happens to you. And we got to make up our minds. <clears throat> I'm not going to be stuck in my past. I, listen, I'm not going to be a reflection of my past. You're not going to see my past on me. I want people to be around me and think that man has had the greatest life. Nothing wrong's ever happened to him. That's exactly what we ought to reflect. That's called if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. All right. I spent a lot of time on number one because it's the big one. But Joseph overcame it. Number two, <clears throat> to fulfill your destiny, you're going to have to do something that America laughs at. And we make fun of this. and We mock it. Let me make an announcement. My father's not laughing. Number two, Joseph was a man who even in pain, he walked in integrity, integrity. Now in America, we don't hold integrity much anymore. Matter of fact, we, we consider people, uh, we admire people who walk in a lack of integrity. In the business world, if you can cheat people and get away with it, we admire that. We admire people that lie today and get away with things. Let me make an announcement. My heavenly father's not changed. He blesses people who walk in integrity. And this, now, now listen, you're Joseph, you've been done wrong. You've been lied to. You've been sold out. Your future's been ruined, looks like. And you're in this house and you're working and this, you're working for this man and you got no, you're supposed to be leading. You're not supposed to be a slave. This is, let me make an announcement. This is not fair. Let's all say it together. This is not fair. Listen, the quicker we get over that stuff and realize life is not fair, God holds the reins of my life. Amen. And it was not fair. And it's a good looking woman in this house. And in other many issues, you'll see this, but this is the one that stands out. And she starts hitting on him and coming on to him. And I'm sure there's some sob story about her husband didn't pay her no attention. Yada, 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 yada. All that yada, yada. And she starts hitting on him. It would have been very easy for him to say, God has forgotten me. He has not done what he's promised. I have been done wrong. Why do I cling to my integrity? It'd have been very easy for him to have an affair with that man's wife. But you know what he said? I want you to listen to his exact words. The first time she said lie with me, he said, I will not do this great sin against God. 
and he decided, even though I don't understand what's going on, and even though I don't like what's going on, I'm going to walk in my integrity. And you see this all through his life. He chosen, listen, not perfection, but integrity. Dear ones, our heavenly father still blesses integrity. And how many people have been robbed of the great plan he had for their lives because they were careless in this area. Do not let America get on you. Do not let what's going on in this nation get on you. We are different. We're going to be a people of integrity. Now, this is not perfection. Listen, when you mess up, get up. When you mess up, get up, get over it and go on. And, and, and be one of those people that decides I'm going to walk in integrity. And listen, th- this is not about what anybody else thinks. This is between me and him. He will have the ultimate rule in your life. He will have the final word. But we live in integrity and private. And uh, <clears throat> he walked in that. Number three. Let me tell you what else this guy did. And this is something that we're really struggling with in our nation too. And this is, this is uh, something that we've forgotten about our father. This man was a man of excellence. Now, we've forgotten how important excellence is in this land. But this guy walked in excellence in everything he did. Uh, and he was so excellent in, in little things. All right, all right he, gets, he gets captured. He's a slave. He goes to Potiphar's house. He becomes a slave. And you, if you read the scriptures, let me tell you what you find. Within a few months, he is running the whole estate. He did his job so well and he did such a good job that Potiphar made him ruler over the whole house. You know what that tells me? Instead of being sour and bitter and angry and just doing the least he could do and get by, he went in that man's house. He said, I don't like it. I'm not supposed to be here, but because of God's goodness, I'm going to do the best job I can here. And that got him promoted. Listen, people whine, say, my company won't promote me. Do a good job. They will promote you. And if they don't promote you, God will have somebody come snake you away from them if you're that good. Elon Musk could be calling you for long if you're as good as you thought you were. Talk to me. All right, so he gets out of prison. I mean, he gets, he gets thrown in prison. What's he doing in prison? Everybody has a job in prison. He did so good in his job in prison that within a few months, listen to what the Bible said. The chief jailer turned the whole prison over to him and never even checked behind him. He's got the keys to the prison now. He's running the joint and he's in it. And the chief jailer never checked behind him. You know what that tells you and me? This man, he was a man of excellence. He had to be excellent for the job he was doing. And then, of course, later on, he managed the grain for seven years for the whole world. A spoiled brat manages the world's food supply. Listen to me. Excellence is important with our father. Now, in our nation today, we've sort of gotten away from excellence. And we've sort of become a what's the least I can do and get by. We've sort of become a mediocre nation. You know, we've, and listen, listen, our Heavenly Father is still big on excellence. I want you to listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You need to be the best employer where you work at. You need to take care of what God's given you. You need to keep your house clean. I got in trouble for preaching a few weeks ago. Keep your house clean, mow your grass, wash your car. Wash your car. Mow your grass. Keep your house clean. So what's I got? Listen, listen, he who is faithful in the little things will be made ruler over the big things. Then was God promote, he's a God of excellence. I, you don't ever look out and see a bluebird with a red wing. <laughs> he is a God of excellence. And, and he wants us to be a people of excellence. We don't say to our kids, bring me a D and I'll be happy. We want, listen, I don't want my, listen, I'm not going to compare my kids. Never did that. I don't want them to do anything they're not able to. I want them to be the best them they can be. Amen. I want my kids to be the best them they can be. Not for my sake, for their sake. 
And we, somehow in this nation, a few years ago, we started handing out these things called participation trophies. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, everybody's awesome. Let me make an announcement. If everybody's awesome, ain't nobody awesome. We, we have lost the excellence in this nation where we strive for excellence. Now we got people celebrating something they didn't have to do anything to accomplish. <laughs> we used to celebrate accomplishment. Listen, me and you are still people of God. We walk in excellence. And because this man did the best job he could every place he went, that's why he ended up running the world. Our father promotes excellence. Matter of fact, I don't know if you ever heard this or not. Matthew 541 says this. If someone requires you to go one mile, does anybody know what the rest of it is? You go two. What does he mean right there? That's, that's the heart of the great teaching of the Bible. Matthew 5, 41 is called the second mile. Some people talk about going the second mile. Let me tell you, if your boss says do this, you do a little bit more. Don't be a what's the least I can do and get by person. God blesses extra milers. And uh, I met a fellow years ago, his name's Ken Helser. He's got a son named Jonathan who wrote some of the worship music that we sing here. And Ken and I were buddies. I was just a young guy and he's a little bit older than I was. We lived beside each other, near each other. And I'd go over there and he had a little ministry out there called Place for the Heart. And uh, I noticed before long that everything he did, he did it so excellent. If we were going to have a breakfast for a few pastors, he didn't just put out some donuts and coffee. I mean, it was fancy. Everything was nice. Flowers on the table, fancy silverware, fancy everything, funky food. You couldn't even, you didn't even know what it was. It was so fancy. Everything they did was just so, I called it uppity, so uppity. And he's just a common guy. And I said, how come you do stuff so uppity? He said, our God's a God of excellence. And he wants, he said, now we, we don't need to go in debt to do stuff to impress anybody. But he said, everything we do, we need to do it well. So one of the things I love about our school, Grace Christian Academy, we have been, we've encouraged excellence that the place be clean and neat. We want good academics. We want, we want great attitudes. There's just something happens inside of people when they, when they do the best they can. Now, not to compare ourselves. I want to be the best me I can be. And I want you to be the best you you can be. And the Father blesses that. And of course, Joseph was blessed uh, when he did that. All right, number four. Uh, let me walk you through some of the other great harvest. The, all right, number one, this guy, he, he, he was not offended. Somehow he got over being offended. He would not let it lodge in his heart. He was a man of integrity and he walked in integrity. He was an excellent guy. He, he did everything he did as best he could. But the fourth thing you notice about this guy, and you're gonna have to do the same thing. He dealt with disappointment. He dealt with disappointment. Can I ask you a question? Anybody in this room ever been disappointed? We're, li we're living in a pretty disappointment day right now. Did you know that, um, let me say it this way. The road to your destiny is blocked by disappointments. If you're going to achieve what you were created to do, you're going to have to deal with many disappointments on the road. I'm beginning to think that the secret to life is not how smart you are, it's how tough you are. I'm beginning to think that tenacity is more valuable than a big head. I know a lot of folks with a big head can't get out of bed. Bottom line, it's just plain old tough is what it is. All right. Was this man disappointed by anybody? How many of you think he was disappointed? Let's start at the beginning. Was he disappointed by his father? How many of you think your father should pull for you? This boy told God, this boy told his father what God had done for him and his father got on him for believing God. His father wouldn't even cheer for him. How many of you think he could have been disappointed in his brothers? How many know your older brother is supposed to look out for you? And his older brother sold him. You think he was disappointed in his brothers? How many of you think he was disappointed... <laughs> in his employers. This, listen to me, listen to me. This guy's life is one is a string of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. At any place, he could have just give up and said, what the heck? 
I'll just eat my food and suck eggs and be mad at the world. Life sucks. I mean, he could have done that, but he never did it. He kept getting up. Disappointment after disappointment, he kept stepping right over and he kept right on going. And listen, this is the reason that he was so blessed. Let me tell you something about this book, about the Bible, about life. You take every great person that this book talks about. You take uh, Joseph, Moses, Nehemiah, Esther. Look at all the disappointments every one of them had to overcome to accomplish. What's he saying to you? Plan on being disappointed and plan on getting over it. Do not let disappointments park you. All right, you're going to be disappointed by three people in life. Number one, you're going to be disappointed by other people. Has anybody else ever disappointed you? Sometimes the people we're married to disappoint us. Sometimes our parents disappoint us. Our parents should be good to us. Sometimes our coworkers, sometimes our best friends. Dear ones, people will disappoint you because people are people. Number two, who's the second person who's going to disappoint you? You're going to disappoint yourself. Anybody ever disappointed yourself? How many people are stuck in the mud and can't get over it because they screwed up? I want you to think about something with me. Dear ones, we've got to learn to deal with our own disappointments. I've disappointed me many a time. We've got to learn to get over it. I want you to listen to two people. You ever heard these two names? Simon Peter, Judas Iscariot. We're both of them apostles of Jesus. We're both of them followers of Jesus. Many people see Simon Peter as the great apostle. This morning, right now, the largest worship service in the world is being held in St. Peter's Basilica. It's named after him. For years and years, people have named their children Peter after the great apostle who wrote part of the Bible and led the church. How many of you know anybody that names their child Judas? <laughs> Peter is the name that's adored around the world for centuries now. Judas is the name that's despised. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference in the two of them? Both of them failed Jesus. Both of them stabbed Jesus right in the back in his hour of need. I could build an argument that Simon did worse than Judas. Judas never promised he'd stay there. Both of them regretted what they did. The Bible said that when Jesus was on trial and Jesus had told him, you'll, you'll deny me. Three times you'll deny you know me before the cock crows twice. He said, I will die with you. I'll never deny you. Finally, the third time they're at a campfire and someone said, you've got the same accent he does. You're one of them. And he began to curse and swear. I never met that man in my life. And the Bible said the moment he said it, the rooster crowed. And the Bible said in Luke that Jesus turned and looked at him and said, Simon went out and wept bitterly. So Simon regretted it. Didn't Judas regret it? Judas took the money, had Jesus arrested, sold him out. And after he was arrested, before he was crucified, the Bible said Judas went back to the preachers with the money and said, I have betrayed an innocent man. Here's your money back. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And he took the money and he threw it down on the temple floor, went out and hung himself. And they took that money and bought, a, bought land for a graveyard for poor people. Both of them regretted it. What's the difference? Simon forgave himself and got up and went on. Judas killed himself. It was everybody will disappoint themselves. Everybody messes up. But thanks be unto God, my heavenly father, you can get up after you mess up. Amen. And this guy made mistakes. You see his struggles in there, but you know what he did? He did not waller in his, in his mistakes and in his pain. He got up and finished what God created him to do. And I would encourage you, I don't care what you've done or how bad you've messed up, get up. That's the great thing we love about our father. One of the greatest battles Satan will ever fight you in your emotions is over your mistakes. 
And you need to win that battle with his word. And you need to memorize 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's not all. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to be perfect to do great things. That's the message of this book. Was, was Simon perfect? How did he become the chief apostle? Joseph wasn't perfect, but Joseph disappointed himself. But you know what he did? He got over it. It just, I, and I said, listen, people will disappoint you. You'll disappoint yourself. Who's the third person that'll disappoint you? Now don't act spiritual. I'm going to tell you who's the third person. God will disappoint you. And so brother Brian, God will never disappoint you. Oh, really? Didn't God promise him he would rule? Didn't God promise him he would rule? Why is he in prison right now? You think he wasn't disappointed in what's happening in his life? How many of you have ever been disappointed because you prayed a prayer and it didn't get answered? You wanted something, it didn't come to pass. Now let me tell you, how many people do I know that God didn't do it the way they wanted, so they quit him and they sat down and it cost them their best. I don't know a person that's ever been disappointed because things didn't go the way they thought they should. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to look up at him and you need to say, this ain't what I wanted, but I love you and we're going on. You know what that's called? I love 2 Corinthians 4. It says this, I am perplexed, but I am not in despair. I don't have a clue what's going on, but I'm not going to be bothered by it. You can be perplexed, you're clueless and not in despair. You, I, I got things going on in my life right now. I keep asking him and tell me and he's dead silent. My dear friend uh, who walked, he, he holds the Guinness Book of World Records for walking more miles than any man that ever lived. And he has walked all, uh, the equivalent of around the world seven times. He's hauled the cross. All, he's walked with the cross in every country in the world, everywhere he's been. Arthur, bless it. And Arthur said, one night I'm walking and I'm tired. He drags a 20 foot cross over his shoulder and he's walking somewhere. I don't know, some off the wall, corner of the wall world. He's trying to go somewhere by himself. And, and he's out there walking. He's tired. He's weary. And he said, all of a sudden, it, the rain just starts pouring down on me. And he said, when I say, I, I'm trying to serve you and you rain on me. And he said, I decided to be spiritual like I'd seen them guys on TV. And he said, I said, in the name of Jesus, I command the rain to stop. He said, it just started raining harder. <laughs> he said, I just looked up and said, I love you anyway, and kept on walking. Let me tell you something we got to learn to say. I love you anyway and keep on walking with him. Who understands why things happen the way they do? But I know this. I don't understand everything going on in my life. I don't understand why I prayed for this and it didn't work out. I don't understand why I wanted to be here, but I'm here. But I know this. He is good. Amen. And he loves me. And that man gave his son for my life. I don't have to question whether he cares about me or not. I don't have to understand to keep following if you look at this man's life, it didn't make a lick of sense. As a teenage boy, God promised him something and then it went crazy. But guess what? It came to pass because he did not get disappointed in God and quit and give up. How many people have I met? I try to talk to them about Jesus and they'll say, I tried that one time. You don't try this one time. You walk with him for life. In the good days and in the bad days. Let me tell you, we say we marry people off. <clears throat> They're not listening to you, even though they say yes. They're just glazed. You know, they're in la-la land when they're up there in front of you. And let me tell you what we say. We say, I, I commit to you, better or worse. They never hear the worst part. Richer or poorer. Sickness and in health. You know why we say sickness and in health? It's going to come a day you sick of him. 
but you stay. It's called, I don't care what happens. I put my hand to the plow. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't say, follow me if you understand me. Jesus didn't say, follow me if you feel good. Jesus said, follow me, period. Listen to me. If you will follow him and not be disappointed and not be offended and not give up, he will finish what he started. That's called staying with him and following him. And he did that. He, he followed all the way through. He didn't let the disappointments ruin his life and set him back. All right. He overcame. Let's, let's turn to the last verse about his life. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 50. Let's see how it finishes. This is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. And it's one of the greatest stories in world history and in literature. And it's one of the greatest lessons where God Almighty speaks to you and me. All right. He's 17 years old. You know, he's a teenage boy, about 17, 16, 17 years old. God begins to put it in his heart. I'm going to use you to help people. And then he begins to work in his life. Let me tell you what the father didn't tell him. He didn't tell him this. Before I can use you to help people, I'm going to put you through my school of management. How many of you believe God has a school of management? <laughs> it's not as much fun as you think it is. Let me tell you some things about his school of management. He prepares us to manage by putting us through things in life. I'm thinking about making up a saying that goes like this. He causes all things to work together for good. I'm working on it. I'll get there. God's school of management, unrewarded labor, tests, uh, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith is making something in you. Now, in American Christianity today, we're all about the blessing and the goodness. We have forgotten that he puts us through the school of management to save many people alive, to build our character. So he, he didn't tell him you got 17 years of management training before I can let you rule. Dear ones, let me tell you what we see from bird's eye view looking down, all this garbage he went through, God was in it. His hand was in that stuff. And he used everything in this boy's life to make him the great leader that he became. Listen to me, listen to me. All the crap that happened in his life, God's hand was in it. And he was using all that stuff to fashion him and to make him the great leader that he became. And uh, he was in prison. He met a butler. It was Pharaoh's butler. Pharaoh got mad at him, threw him in prison. And the butler had a dream and he said, I had a dream. I, there were three things, three cups, and I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said, I, I can interpret dreams. I'll help you. In three days, he's going to restore you, and you're going to be beside him as his butler again. And he said, oh, thank you. And Joseph said, don't forget me. And he said, no, we're dear friends. When I get out, I'll talk to Pharaoh. He'll get you out. So in three days, sure enough, what he said came to pass. He gets promoted. And the Bible said he forgot about Joseph. And for two more years, he laid in that prison. All right, now listen to me, listen to me. You have no idea what he's going to use with people to work his purposes in your life. You don't have to understand this. You just have to believe it. Two years later, Pharaoh has a troubling dream. And in his dream, he sees seven big fat cows feeding on grass. And all of a sudden, out of the Nile River comes seven gaunt, thin, sick-looking cows. And these seven sick cows eat the seven fat cows. That's his dream. And so he tells her about, I've had this dream. I don't know what it means. It's troubling. And he told him what the dream was. And the butler goes, oh my gosh, Joseph. Jo he said, there's a guy in prison that I met that can do this stuff. You have no idea what he's doing in your life that years later will turn out to be his hand. He said, I forgot about Joseph. It, Joseph will tell you what the dream means. 
And so they go get Joseph. And the Bible said he had to shave and clean up because, you know, you're pretty nasty in prison then. And he came before Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh says, I understand you can interpret dreams. He said, I can't. The God in me can. He always gave God the credit. And he said, tell me your dream. And he told him, I had seven fat cows, seven lean cows came out of the Nile River and ate the fat cows. He said, God will give you the interpretation. The seven fat cows are seven years of abundance of harvest. And the land will produce grain like it's never produced before for seven years. And then after seven years, there are going to be seven years of the most terrible famine and drought that the earth's ever known. And, what, and the drought will consume the prosperity. And then Joseph said, I would advise Pharaoh to find a man that has the wisdom of God in him and store up grain through those seven good years so we can eat during those seven lean years. And Pharaoh said, the interpretation is right and your advice is good. And he said, where can I find a man with the wisdom of God in him that can manage the world's food? And Joseph goes, <clears throat> Pharaoh says, you're him. He said, I promote you to number two in the world. Listen to me, in God's timing, he'll promote you. In God's timing, he'll put you right where you need to be. In God's time, and you'll see how all this junk that made no sense will make perfect sense. And he was promoted in a moment and he became the second most powerful man in the world. And then Joseph managed those years of, of uh, prosperity and he stored the grain. He built granaries, he stored the grain. He was over the whole world's grain. And then in those seven lean years, he meted the grain out and measured grain out to people. This man saved the world. A spoiled brat whose father couldn't see anything good at him saved the world. Guess why? He fulfilled his destiny. He didn't just get a job. He did what God created him to do. All right. This famine reached back to his country. His brothers are starving. Their family's starving. His father's still alive. His father's had another son now, younger than him, Benjamin. And so his father tells his brothers, there's grain in Egypt. Go get us grain. So his brothers pack up and they go to get grain and Joseph's managing everything. They think he's long dead. They forgot about him. It's been 17 years. They have no idea where he's at. And so these brothers come and they find out you have to go see Joseph to get grain. So he's sitting there in his ruling chair, thrown. And these brothers come and bow down before him and say, we've come to get grain. And he said, where are you from? And they told him, said, uh, who's your father? Is he still alive? And he's asking questions about his own family. They don't recognize him. And he's finding out all this information and then to save time, he goes through all this stuff where he gives them grain and, and says, bring your father back. And some things go on in there. And it's, but it's just the kindness of God. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that uh, they came back for more grain. And he said, I told you, don't come back and ask grain for me unless you bring your father. And they fall on their faces. They're, they plead, they say, we, we can't. Our father will die if he makes this trip. Our family's gonna die if you don't help us. And they're all on their faces before him. What was his original dream? And the Bible said, Joseph stood up and said, everybody go out of here. And he revealed himself to his brothers and he wept. And they were, guess, <laughs> you mean the guy we threw in that hole owns the world now? You mean he's the ruler of the world now and we bound down before him? You don't remember that thing about us throwing you in that hole, do you? <laughs> How many of you know things, listen to me, things that happen in our lives serve a purpose when we don't know it. If this boy had not been through what he'd been through, he couldn't handle what happened. Let's read the last words. Genesis chapter 50. His brothers are scared spitless that they're gonna, he's going to kill them. 
Verse 19, Genesis 50, 19. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Here's the great verse. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about this day to save many people alive. That's one of the greatest truths you'll ever read. You don't need to be afraid of me. I'm not God. What you meant for evil, God used for good to save many people alive. You memorize that verse. You write that on your heart. There's a verse that matches that in the New Testament. Romans 8, 28 says this. We know, you need to know this. God causes all things to work together for good. Now that's not, some people quote that. That's not right. You got to quote the rest of it. Who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you'll abandon your life to your destiny and your purpose, this is what will happen to you. You may not save the world. Listen, how big your stuff is is not the important thing. He'll be in it. And as my buddy, uh, new song wrote years ago in a great song they wrote, and though your world may be touching only two or three, light your world. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something in closing here. Your destiny is to live. If you'll find your destiny and live, you gotta make a decision. You can be saved and not fulfill your destiny. You can be saved and say, I'm gonna be a good person and I'm gonna go to church, but I wanna do what I wanna do and work your job and eat your food and have your fun and play your games. And you can do that and miss your destiny. Listen to me. Let me explode one of the great American religious lies. God is not in, good don't cut it with him. He's not interested in people being good. He's interested in people obeying him. Goodness is not what matters. Obeying him is what matters. Because you see me and you're thinking about me and you. What's he thinking about? Other people. Your destiny, I don't know what it'll be. I don't care. Forget the, forget the uh, full-time ministry stuff. Don't, that, that's American religion too. I don't care whether you're a preacher, a pig farmer, a pickle packer, a podiatrist, a pe- pediatrician, no matter what your vocation is. God has called you to live a life of purpose and it will somehow involve helping people. Everything he does is about helping people. Everything he does, I don't, I don't care what your vocation is, it's about helping people somehow. And let me tell you what'll happen. If you'll find your destiny, you'll realize I'm living a life of purpose. Number two, you'll, you'll be content. You know why people are not content where they're at? They're not doing what they were created to do. If Hebrews 8.10 is correct, I have written my plans in their hearts. I don't care if you've got a great job, having big fun, a lot of money. Your heart will never be content until you find your purpose. We were created to do what we were created to do. And you'll never know a life of contentment until you find his plan for your life. You'll find great contentment. You'll find a life of adventure. Dear ones, Americans are bored, half alive. Have a good one. Have a good one. A good what? God, have mercy. We're half alive now. Where's the, we were created for a life of adventure. Listen, quit worshiping comfort and start following Jesus. We weren't created for comfort. We're dying in our comfort. And then of course, number four, what is it? You will help people. Listen, this world's going to be a better place because you were in it. You were put on this planet to make a difference on this planet. Everybody that follows Jesus makes a difference in somebody's life. That's what you're created to do. And it's the joy of your life. Don't live for money. Live to help people. Money is going to burn. Your husband-in-law, when you fall over, your husband-in-law is going to spend it. Do something that's going to last for eternity. All right. I want to quote one more time. I don't understand this, but I believe it. And you'll believe it too, because the Bible teaches it. There's a mystery about how God works in our lives. You can't figure it out. You can't understand it. But what we see from this guy's life is God put it in his heart. I want you to give your life to me. I want you to live for what I've created you for. He did it. 
things did not go like he thought they would. I need two amens out of that. Okay. It was not always fun. It was not always easy, but it was wonderful. And he saved the world. Quit looking for a fun, easy life. Start looking for a great life. Don't live to find, listen, I have a blast in life. I'm gonna have fun whether you like it or not. I, live, I have a blast, but I'm gonna tell you something. The goal of my life is not fun. The goal of my life is to serve Jesus and serve people. That's where the fun stuff is. And I'm gonna quote it again, Romans 8, 28. Let's go out here today. If we don't learn anything else, let's learn. God is working. God is working. And somebody should write a song. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Amen. Was God working in this boy's life? Did it look like God had abandoned him? Absolutely. I don't care what it looks like. He did what he said. I want you to hold to this verse. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and will surrender their life to his purpose. Now, if you're still living for you, that verse don't apply to you. Why would you live a piddly little life that you can live? Why don't you live a big life? Amen. I mean, live a great big life. We're going to pray in a minute. I want you to make a decision. You know, anytime God speaks, we need to make a decision. We're not connoisseurs of sermons. We're here to make decisions. And you need to make a decision. I want you to say one of two things to the living God. That's it. I surrender my life to your purpose. Whatever you created me to be or do, that's what I want to do. I don't know how to get there, but that's not my business. My job is to say, thy will be done. I want to see what you can do through this life. I don't care if you're old as I am. Start where you're at. Make him the Lord of what's left. Or I want you to say to him, I think you're wonderful. Thank you for saving me, but I'm going to live my life. I don't want you running my life. If you're going to do it, have the guts to say it. Lord Jesus, I just want to praise you and thank you for your kindness. We, we look at this world apart from your word and we see the absence of God and chaos and offense and craziness and people running down dead end roads and coming back empty and it's just nutty right now. But we look at your word and we see through your word, you are large and in charge and your hand rules. And for anybody that bows their knee to you and says, thy will be done. I want to find my purpose in life. I abandoned my life to you. I, here, here, Jesus, take this life. You created me. You've got a right to live it. And Lord Jesus, I pray this morning and press on every heart in this room. You might could do pretty good with your life, but you won't be able to do as good as he could. I want to thank you according to your word that you make all things beautiful in your time. I know you do. And I pray you put it in the hearts of people to surrender everything they've got to Jesus. That doesn't matter whether they're preachers or truck drivers or teachers or pharmacists. That's never the issue with you. The issue is, can I have you? Will you follow me? And I thank you and praise you, Lord Jesus. You're still calling people to follow you. The joy of our hearts is in helping people. And the, the reward of our lives, when we get old and ready to step off this planet, it's not going to be how much we accumulated. It's not going to be how many chicken pies we ate or how many cheeseburgers. It's not going to be how many movies we watched. It's how many people's lives were changed because we were on this planet and knew the joy of using, being used by you to help people. I pray for every person in this room that make a decision. I live for Jesus and to help people from now on. Thank you for your word this morning that shows us that your hand is working. Even when we can't see it, we give you all the praise and glory. Pray for every person in this room, a complete surrender to the will of God. Because I know how wonderful life will be when we sell out completely. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified in his precious name. We pray. Amen.